What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> I'm recording this high above the Westin Hotel in Atlanta, which is roughly the 38th floor. And for a guy that's afraid of heights, no big deal. Uh, we're recording this. I shouldn't say we. I am recording this because no will today. He is in Philadelphia for the new year. I am recording this in Atlanta on the heels of just a madness, madness college football playoff. Don't like to get too caught in the moment, but easily the best college football playoff that we have ever had. Holy cow, those semifinal games were bonkers. I am pretty limited on sleep, I'll be honest. The last two days, uh, I stayed up 24 hours straight last night being able to, to write and crank out some content, but... Uh, woke up and was like, all right, we got to we got to make a podcast on Sunday morning. So we're going to get through everything uh, after just a a blast of a day that we were able to have as college football fans. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do playoff reactions to start. Talk maybe a tiny bit of national championship things. And we're going to have a lot more national championship coverage midweek, of course. And then we're going to go back to Wednesday and we're just going to work our way through the SEC Bowls chronologically. So before we dig into everything, the other day, wife and I make this meal called Dragon Noodles. And apologies, I don't know who came up with it. But let's just say it is delicious. It is ramen and a base, a, a very basic ingredient of this, of this dish is a little sriracha. So who makes great sriracha? Texas Pete going through the grocery store. I'm like, oh God, I know exactly where I'm going. There was a sriracha shortage for a long time. I don't know how that impacted the industry or chili sauce or whatever the case may be, but Texas Pete always has you covered. It was delicious. Texas Pete made that dish even better. I kid you not. Texas Pete has a spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel, plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday down south that's all caps all one word Saturday down south win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it all right playoff reactions I'm usually the person who is able to take a breath and make sense of something that we just saw I still don't fully grasp how Georgia won that football game I don't I truly don't and for everybody saying oh you know I never doubt whatever no, y'all had doubt. <laughs> Trust me. I heard the Georgia fans and how exasperated the crowd felt at times. And Georgia was the team who wasn't supposed to come back like that. Down 14 with 10 minutes left. This was Ohio State's moment. This was Ohio State coming onto the national stage and finally having, dare I say, a Toby Keith game. Hey, how do you like me now? This was the game that showed they were not soft. This was the game that showed C.J. Stroud, yes, I am an elite quarterback. And if you don't think I am, Conor O'Gara and others, I'm going to show you. It blows me away that Georgia time and time again can do things like this. And I don't mean to say that this is one of many because this is unique. And this is even unique for the national championship last year, because it's like, all right, one drive and you're back in it, whatever. But this was, this was about to lose the football down two scores or rather I shouldn't say lose the football, but not regain the football when that fake punt that wasn't was ultimately called off because Kirby smart called the timeout. 
and you find out after the game that he saw the formation and was like, nope, 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 nope. We're 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 gonna we're gonna make sure that this doesn't happen because it looks like Ohio State was going to execute a fake punt. They were up eleven, and it looked like they were going to be able to hold on to that football game with what like eight minutes left, and and try and put it away. And I I, I truly think if that happens, they do. And then don't you know it? Georgia gets the timeout. They're able to to adjust their personnel. Ohio State can't run that, and it looked. I mean, they had already gained it. Like if if, if the official had just decided, no, Kirby, you didn't get that timeout in. Ohio State is is sitting pretty, and they would have already picked up the first down. But of course, that's not what happened. Ohio State punts the football away on the very first play. Arian Smith makes the defensive back fall down. Boom, walk-in touchdown. He had no idea that he made the defender fall down. By the way, I was asking him afterwards, like, did did you know you were that open? I'm always curious. Like, guys, I think know when they're open, but he had no idea until he got back to the sideline and everybody's like, you made him fall, you made him fall. And Stetson only threw the ball because everybody on the sideline was standing up being like, he's wide open. That's when you know you have a very easy touchdown. And that was the key play. That sequence right there flipped everything for Georgia because it didn't feel like their game. It didn't. And it felt like they kind of stole it. And Georgia does not do that. They really don't. Even last year in the national championship, you could say, oh, if Jameson Williams stays healthy, if this happens, if this happens, Bama wins. I still wouldn't say that Georgia stole that game from Alabama. Georgia had a nice run in the fourth quarter. They played much better in the fourth quarter in that game. But once again, two-minute drill. Stetson's just money. He's just money. And he wasn't particularly good. Said afterwards, played 30 minutes of bad football. (laughs) But he's like, okay, two-minute drill. Where else would you want to be than right here, right now? You can't can't teach that. You really can't. And I, I tip my cap to the guy because I'm sitting here thinking we're about to have a post game in which we talk about uh, this is why you have a CJ Stroud as opposed to a Stetson Bennett. And by the way, Stroud was great. He was the type, he was the type of player that everybody who has supported CJ Stroud said he was. And then some, but Stetson Bennett, let me talk about him for a second to have this, this realization that the grind of 13 or no, the grind of an entire offseason of skeptics saying, ah, you know, probably can't do it again. Or if he can do it again, maybe it'll be with another quarterback. Remember when we were having those conversations way back in the day? To have that poise, to not be mentally fatigued, that's the part I, I, I just I can't get past. How in that game did you stay locked in? Because you simply had no other choice? Ohio State was doing great things to this Georgia defense. And even when Georgia was breaking off big chunks of yardage with the ground game early, and Kirby Smart was kind of blown away that at halftime, they they were dominating Ohio State with running the football. And he said, you know, like 95% of the time in playoff games, the team who runs the ball better wins. But you still kind of looked up in the second half. And then Ohio State actually started to figure some things out to, to contain Georgia's ground game. And Georgia wanted to turn to that when they're down two scores. And they really couldn't. That, that that's the the thing that that's going to get lost in the shuffle of a of a madness game like that is that Georgia actually, for as great as they ran the ball for the first part of that game, they needed the passing game to be able to to bail them out. And obviously, they needed to start getting some defensive stops after Ohio State torched them basically for the entire day. I mean, golly, I came into this one saying, ah, 
too bad for Ohio State. Kirby Smart doesn't have two bad defensive games in a row. He had two bad defensive games in a row. The Ohio State, if it could have just thrown at Keely Ringo all night, I think it would have. And by the way, I'm not going to say one of the reasons. One of the reasons why it felt like Georgia stole this, and Georgia earned it, absolutely earned it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take take credit away from Georgia. But one of the reasons why it felt like they stole this, maybe, and Ohio State is going to feel like, wow, that was that game was ours for the taking. Marvin Harrison Jr. going down in that game. I even forgot about that after the fact. Not being able to have him on that last drive. I do wonder about that. And I don't mean to... Oh, is the AC kicks on? Sorry if you hear that in the background here. Surrounding Saturday, not my my usual uh, back in Orlando. But apologies for those who... Um, who who are just going to be thinking about that forever because that that kind of sucks if that's in your brain of oh Marvin Harrison Jr. would have would have changed that would have changed that game and he might have he absolutely might have if I'm an Ohio State fan yeah I, I do feel like that that played a part in that game and Ohio State's receivers man they they kind of got what they wanted CJ Stroud got the protection he got what I didn't think was possible he also when he didn't get protection was rolling out of sacks, even that last drive, where that's a 27-yard gain for a guy who's only got one other career gain of 20 yards with his legs. Everybody's blasting this guy like he doesn't use his legs, doesn't use his legs. And, man, he did. He escaped, I think, what was it, four sacks in the first half of this one. Kirby was talking about how frustrating that was, and it was one of the reasons why at halftime they're were, they were losing. I mean – this just told you what you needed to know about the Ohio State offense in the first part of that game. I mean, I went to go, <laughs> I went to go take a piss with when the two minute drill started for Ohio State, and as I'm coming back, like they, they scored that quickly and at the end of the first half, and that was the that was the drive where you're like, oh, because Georgia had climbed back from down 21 to seven, and you're thinking, okay, they're maybe. Maybe they're going to be able to take the lead and then they get the ball at half. And then, you know, it'll be kind of off and running for Georgia and they'll be able to overcome a great start. And then when Ohio State did that and they're like one, two combination, I was like, I don't think this is Georgia's day. I really don't. But credit to Kirby Smart's team, man. We can talk about all the cliches in the world. We really can. But when it's playoff time, it's nut crunching time. You don't know how your guys are going to respond. You really don't, especially when you're a team that hasn't trailed in the second half since Mizzou. <laughs> that was three months ago. Guys, after the game, you know, you ask them, have you ever played in a game like that? And Stetson, credit to Stetson, he's like, no, never. that that one was that one was special. But you're asking guys afterwards, you know, have you ever played in a game like that? And some of them would be like, I, I think they, they were more talking about like the game flow. You, they would bring up either the Peach Bowl from two years ago, wherein they beat Cincinnati on the on the you know the last second field goal, and oh, it was like a fifty yard field goal. And then there was Mizzou earlier this year, of course, where they had to be able to rally back. They had to rally back on the road. This is different. This is different. Playoff down two touchdowns. To an offense that's humming. I mean, just humming. This was still different. But Georgia finds a way. Finds a way. I thought that last kick was going to go in. 
I had like 700 words of a column ready to go because, and I, my entire column was going to be, I thought Ryan day out coach Kirby smart. <laughs> I thought he did for the majority of that game. I really did. I thought Kirby was struggling to make defensive adjustments, even coming out the half Georgia went three and out three and out coming out of the half that that does not happen. And they, they talked about that afterwards about how that's, that's something they, they really need to figure out. There are a lot of things for this Georgia team that they need to figure out. And, Look, it's okay if this isn't as good as last year's team. That's not the takeaway from this game, but I think you're seeing that they're more vulnerable. The 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 fact that Ohio State was able to do exactly what I thought they couldn't pick up where LSU left off in the passing game to me is is a sign that Georgia has some weaknesses. They do, but that's okay. TCU's got some weaknesses. TCU's playing in a national championship. TCU just went 60 minutes toe-for-toe with a Michigan team that nobody thought that they could beat, held them off at the end. Was it targeting? Was it not targeting? I don't care. TCU's playing in a national championship. Least talented team to ever play in a national championship during the playoff era. Georgia's significant favorite, of course. Everybody's kind of waiting for the wheels to fall off. But this was this day, this whole day, was just a reminder that the playoff, as crazy as this sport is, the playoff is usually the, the the thing that's not crazy. We usually get laughers. We've had three games in the first sixteen playoff semifinal games that were decided that were decided by one score. I think it was twelve of sixteen heading into this year were decided by at least three scores. How many people were just waiting on two blowouts, and instead? We got a day for the ages, man. I don't know if they're going to make a 30 for 30 on that day, but it was it was bonkers. Oh, low-key underrated part of the day. I'm going to name drop here. So as I'm standing there on the field, Mercedes-Benz before the game, talking with our good friend Josh Pate, who we'll have on very, very soon, of course, and um, and Barrett Salee, of course, as well. And uh, <laughs> we kind of look up and we're like, oh, there's Irvin Meyer right ahead of us. And on the big screen at Mercedes-Benz, they're showing TCU Michigan, of course. Urban Meyer enjoyed him some TCU touchdowns. <laughs> he loves watching Michigan fail. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, so, yeah, just a, a random moment along with meeting Devin Hester, who 15-year-old Connor is freaking out. Even 32-year-old Connor, admittedly. I try not to fanboy too much at these things. But goodness gracious, I freaked out meeting Devin Hester. He is ridiculous. He has a goat chain. That is pretty much the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, But that's not to take away from this day. It was an awesome day. It was a fun day. Georgia fans, you survived. If you're like my buddy Perry, whose heart rate got up to 160 in this game, hopefully it didn't take years off your life. I understand if it could. I, I was saying this afterwards. I don't know that I've had a game in recent memory in which I truly felt I need to rewatch that fourth quarter to make sense of that because it wasn't like Ohio State had this massive collapse and they're playing down the stretch too with, you know, and they they, they have the play with their backup running back or the third string running back, I should say, and he gets stuffed and that's why they had to attempt a long field goal and Stroud had the, the kind of overthrow there. I thought even the previous down, him getting sacked, you know, and what was it, and creating like a third and 17, like that, that was diff- that was tough to be able to take. But this didn't feel like an Ohio State collapse. I guess the one collapse is the defensive back falling down in the Arians met touchdown. Like that's the only real collapsey thing that happened in this game. 
oh, we got sirens in the background. <laughs> OG listeners of this podcast know uh, Marler back in the day would always be talking about sirens in the background in Atlanta. Yes, there is always sirens. Great to be able to catch up with Marler as well while I was here in Atlanta and catch up with, with everybody. It was a fun day. It was a crazy day. I'm sure I left out a lot of things that I'm still going to have to make sense of. But ultimately, George is going to L.A. They're going to L.A. They will be playing in a national championship against a TCU team that I keep comparing to 2013 Auburn. I think if you look at first-year head coach who wins thrilling game after thrilling game, a starting quarterback, and people are like, is he going to be the starter? Are you sure about that? And he just plays out of his mind. And they're the team that everybody's kind of waiting to fail. And if George is that team that's waiting for TCU to fail, I think that'd be a wild mistake. But this did feel like, man, if you can survive that, you might be able to just survive anything. Madness, madness, madness day. I'll have a lot more takeaways with the midweek pod. Probably some things that I forgot about that we'll circle back to as it relates to Georgia and Ohio State. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the bowl slate for the SEC, which date all the way back to Wednesday, which feels like a lifetime ago. Let's start with those hogs. <laughs> Speaking of entertaining games, the only way that I can explain this game is by saying this was the Buffalo Wild Wings commercial come to life. Somewhere in Kansas, I think, I'm just going to assume it was Kansas because that's the only place where there's Kansas fans probably, there were just a bunch of people at this Buffalo Wild Wings and they kept screaming at the waiter, hit the button, hit the button, man. That's truly like, other than that, I, I don't know. Three overtime game, probably should have been over several different times. Arkansas won the game, but I felt like this was everything you could have asked for from a bowl game, unless you're an Arkansas fan. Definitely unless you're an Arkansas fan. Blow a 25-point lead in the second half. Blow an 18-point lead in the fourth quarter when teams were 1-347 when trailing by at least 18 points in the fourth quarter this year. I guess, I don't know if they get to, if they're adding to that stat. No, I guess Arkansas, because they won, they don't necessarily count as, as you know, the two in that stat, but you get what I'm saying. Um, they had the Barry Odom defense came back to life for Arkansas. Or I, I should say resurfaced for Arkansas after the first part of that game. I thought that was the story of the game. Arkansas without Barry Odom, who obviously left to take the head coaching job at UNLV, looks like a group that all of a sudden figured some things out. They're running four down linemen. And you're like, okay, this is this is promising. This is as good as you could have asked for. Um, but then the wheels just fell off. I don't know why Arkansas decided that didn't need to recover that onside kick. Like, oh, I'll get it later. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there, but it was it was a collapse. They left the dude open who caught the pass against Texas and got the Applebee's NIL deal. Oh, I mean, several times he was wide open. Like, I, I don't know how they don't just throw to him every single time because I'm pretty sure Casey is just constantly sitting there in the corner of the end zone waiting for the football to be thrown to him. Arkansas was having all sorts of problems with him. They looked like they ended the game with a tackle on the goal line on Jalen Daniels, but instead they called targeting because a player made a goal line tackle. That was so bad. Can I rant about this for a second? In real time, I said he did not lead with his head. I, I get why maybe the angle 
of a guy fighting to get into the end zone in that spot suggested, okay, maybe, you know, we got to look at this hit or whatever. I thought even when you slow it down in the, in the slowest of speeds, which they did on the broadcast and they're doing, you know, they, they put it in like the slow-mo reverse angle as well. I thought it was borderline at best for, again, a player defending the goal line to win the game. This had shades of when, oh, who was it? Was it, was it Zacoby McClain, that play at Penn State, the targeting that he was called for a couple years ago? When it's like he's defending the goal line. I guess that was 2021. How how are officials looking at it this way? And sure enough, they call targeting. They extend the game. Kansas State, you know, is able to score there and enforce another overtime. And then, of course, after the game, the officials come out and they say, oh, yeah, it wasn't targeting. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, I hated it. I hated it so much. I would have hated it no matter who who was, you know, who was playing. Even if Kansas or if Arkansas had found a way to win and extend its drive via that, and if they had, you know, targeting, quote unquote, on KJ and prevented him from getting into the end zone with a play like that, I still would have been mad because I get it. And I had people tweeting at me, well, it's the rule. Well, it's the rule. No, it actually wasn't. And they told you that after the game, and I was telling you that during the game, and they tried to decide a game on it. We have to figure targeting out. It was so bad. It's been so bad during bowl season. It's the most subjective thing in the world, but it's it was terrible to watch that sequence play out. Um, I was thinking about this, and I brought this up with my buddy John Neighbors. Was that as torturous of a win as one can have? <laughs> Think about it. It might have been. I, I joked afterwards when Arkansas won, of course, that we might need to do an adjustment more on that game. And I truly think that KJ harked back to that adjustment more game than we did the 2021 Ole Miss game that I bring up all the time. I, I, I think that there were probably moments in which he said, just keep playing, just keep playing. He did that despite the fact that when he went out there for the overtime coin toss, he had the most over it look I think I've ever seen a player to, as he's taking the field for an overtime coin toss, KJ's like, we seriously have to keep playing football. But he did. He did. And, you know, that that's why I love him. I, I love KJ. I love watching him. I'm so excited that he's coming back. He was definitely like among the top five guys in college football that I wanted to see come back because I don't really care about his pro prospects. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and debate those until the cows come home like some are. But I, I just love watching him play football. And a place that gives him the chance to do that in that scheme is fun to be able to watch. It was fun to be able to watch in this game, especially when Rocket Sanders goes down in the first quarter of that game. He's already without Jaden Hazelwood, who had opted out. Trey Knox hit the portal. He's on his way to South Carolina. Arkansas didn't have Drew Sanders. They didn't have Bumper Pool. It's been a frustrating year. You're sitting there with six wins. KJ just keeps playing. Just keeps playing. Sam Pittman just keeps coaching. And that's what these guys do. Kansas wanted no part of tackling KJ late. I don't blame him. I wouldn't either. Um, he has gained so much more confidence letting plays develop and throwing strikes over the middle. I don't think 2021 KJ wins that game. I don't. I, I, and I think you can look at the numbers and say, ah, he's kind of stayed the same. He's played two less games. And he's been a lot more banged up this year than I think he was last year. I think KJ's gotten better. And I think he's gotten better without Traylon Burks. I really do. And, and I think that's why if you're a transfer portal receiver, man, how are you not signing up to come play for him? They're going to be dealing with a lot of turnover at receiver because 
right, last I checked, unless I'm unless there's something I missed, Landers is out of eligibility. Hazelwood is off to the NFL. Trey Knox is off to South Carolina. And you're kind of looking around going, oh, man, the only one of KJ's top four targets who's back next year is, is Rocket. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think if you're an Arkansas fan, that you're telling yourself the entire offseason, all right, at least we got KJ. Because defensively, I got a lot of questions about that group moving forward. Even if it is an addition by subtraction thing with without Barry Odom, um, I don't know that there's a whole lot you can point to right now if you're an Arkansas fan and be optimistic about. You played well for some of the game with four down linemen. I, I guess that's good. Maybe that's a takeaway. I don't know. Um, but you got KJ and you got Rocket, and and that's great. And that's still going to be one of the better duos in America next year. You're still going to have an, a very entertaining team to be able to watch on a weekly basis. And it's so much better than the alternative. And the alternative was three years ago. If you're ever really frustrated on your Arkansas fan, just think back to those times and think back to how badly you would have wanted to watch your team play in an entertaining bowl game and come out the winner. Think back to that. Nice way for Sam Pittman to be able to show up. You could tell in the post-game interview, he was clearly frustrated by some of the early departures on his team. Weird year, but Arkansas is still in a place where it should be able to keep its head above water in the toughest division in the sport. Yes, I still think. Year after year, the SEC West has shown us that it is the toughest division. I don't think you can say that about the Big Ten East, who, oh, by the way, found a way to not make a national championship game. I should have included that in the front part. Horrible day for the Big Ten. Truly was. Big Ten was doing a lot of flexing with some 3-0 and bowl records. Whole lot of flexing. Don't think the Big Ten East necessarily smiled that wide after the way that things ended up on Saturday. All right, Ole Miss. I thought Ole Miss just missed out on a golden opportunity. By the way, that's the last time that I pick against Texas Tech, against the Mississippi school. Probably shouldn't do that anymore. Need to weed myself off. Joe Moorhead disciple Tyler Shuck was great. Ole Miss was not. Love the Leach tribute to start the game with the air raid set, wind the clock down to live game. Ole Miss declines the penalty, golf claps all around. Good for Texas Tech for being able to kind of realize, all right, let's let bygones be bygones, whatever bad blood there is. Let's honor a coach who meant so much to our program. Was really cool to see. That was handshake emoji come to life. Probably the coolest thing Ole Miss did all night. That sounds harsh because it is. Um, maybe one of those Jackson Dart runs was was pretty cool. I guess there was a couple plays here or there that I guess you could say was cool. But now nah, that play was that that sequence was still cooler and paying tribute to Leach probably wasn't the best sign for Ole Miss and their offense that Quinchon Judkins got a total of eleven yards on his first ten carries. Ugh. Texas Tech was pretty bad against the run coming into this one. They, they were not good against the run coming down the stretch here, and they were still able to to pick up win after win. As we've said, though, the it's time to turn to Jackson Dart game plan is not my personal favorite, and I don't think it's Lane's, even after a full year with him as a starter. Uh, there's a reason why in the red zone, fourth down, Ole Miss is just, it's so ineffective. And it points to, to Kiffin as well as Charlie Weiss Jr., but also to Jackson Dart. I, I'm trying to come up with what bothers me the most about him. Or rather, why his play bothers me and why I just don't feel like I, I'm putting him in this top group of SEC quarterbacks coming into next year. Like, why why have I not been really sold on him and the way that I 
thought I was kind of going to be. And I thought that Lane was just going to figure it out. I think I figured it out (laughs) where my frustration stems from. Jackson Dart thinks he's Matt Corral and he's not. He's got the same number. And I realized he was wearing that number at USC or whatever. He rocks the bandana. He looks like he's trying to embrace Corral's toughness, which can be good and bad. I think you need to recognize your surroundings. The problem, though, is I don't think Dart knows who he is as a college quarterback yet, which is why he's been so frustrating on fourth down and in the red zone, right? It sometimes feels like he doesn't know when he messes up. Like when they run the they ran that play action on fourth and three in the first quarter. <laughs> Lane, Lane was like, we're going for every fourth down, okay? We will not punt the football tonight. I don't care where we are in our own territory. We will be going for this. Lane was just in Madden mode it, throughout this entire game, which is saying something because I feel like the fourth down stuff, we just play the results with that. But even for Lane, this was we're, we're gonna we're just gonna roll the dice at every somewhat favorable fourth down and distance we get, regardless of where we are on the field. That fourth and three, they run a play action. Dart throws it into double coverage with pressure in his face. It's a horrible throw. If they had gotten in better protection, maybe you could have stepped into it. That that didn't happen. It's picked off, which actually tech, you know, lost yardage on this play. If they had just batted the ball down, they would have been able to, you know, probably gain what, like 25 yards or something like that. But then the camera shows Dart throwing his hands up. I was trying to think of all the things that he could have been mad at. And I don't know, maybe he's mad that his guy didn't come back to the ball. I I would say don't overthrow, don't underthrow him by seven yards. Was he hoping for DPI? Because nah, I didn't think that was the case at all. His receiver wasn't really touched. And even though he was in double coverage, maybe he wanted a late hit, but then you watch it back and you're like, no, he, he got hit as he was throwing. And he just kind of pushed him, which was the smart play. He didn't have his body weight fall on him or something like that, the defender. So I, I think Dart sometimes, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that I could be wrong about this. I think in his mind, he has a lack of accountability. And I don't think that he recognizes all the time that so much of his production this year was him throwing into massive windows. He also picked up some great yardage with his legs and he was able to move the chains that way. He is a better move the chains runner than an Anthony Richardson, I think, at this stage of his career. But Anthony Richardson obviously has the upside and what he can do to hit on the home run play is different than what Jackson Dart does. So I don't want to get that twisted. But one of the things that I loved about Matt Corral was that as maddening as he was in his first year with Lane in 2020, he wore those mistakes. He absolutely did. Dart will do things like he'll try and run you over, even though he really doesn't quite have the skill set to do that. And he probably shouldn't be trying to do that as much as he does with Ole Miss's lack of depth at quarterback. Because if he goes down with like a separated shoulder or something like that, buddy, spring is going to be rough really rough and i love the confidence look you need that you you need a little a, a little bit of that i i'm i'm gonna do whatever it takes that jim mcmahon mantra to be able to get from point a to point b sometimes you absolutely need that and i think some guys are a little bit conservative with that that was something that cj stroud had been uh, accused of being uh, just a, the guy who didn't really want to run and you can tell when he would get into the open field he's like all right i'm looking for my out i'm trying to get out of bounds Jackson Dart, to his credit, doesn't do that, but I think at some points he does it to his team's detriment and he takes shots that he doesn't necessarily need to, and then he's getting up slow, and you're like, man, your team needs a lot more out of you right now, and you're the only option. you you got to figure this out. 
I I just thought that that Dart had one of those days in which it kind of confirmed what I've been saying about him throughout the year. And the other interception wasn't on him. It looked like he was on Jordan Watkins. Dart did the thing where he tried to stop himself from throwing it because he thought Watkins was going to continue running the route instead of sitting on it. And then boom, it's an easy pick deep in Ole Miss territory. That was kind of all she wrote. But I, yeah, I just, I'm not there with Dart. And maybe, maybe I will be next year. And, and a lot of people are doing the side-by-side of Dart's year one numbers compared to Corral's year one numbers. I don't know. I think I test is different. Like, with with Corral after year one, I was I was banging the drum for him to be a first team All SEC coming into that next year. You know, I I was and with with Dart, I I, I will not be making that that argument. I I won't. And even though there, I think there's a a pretty significant changing of the guard at quarterback in the SEC. But I, I won't be making that argument for him. I'm just not there yet. There's just that something missing. And I think he needs to find his own identity. I would have loved to have seen Ole Miss take more deep shots this year. It felt like so many of these were within the same yardage. And unless it was a play that was schemed open by Lane, they didn't really have a ton of go and get it type guys. They had good receivers. Don't get it twisted. But it felt like so much of their game plan was predicated on that. And when you have a defense that's inconsistent, I think that's a problem. And that's why Ole Miss just never really found its groove or was never really able to stop the bleeding. I think at time, at times, Lane hated this team. It, it felt like it. And maybe part of that is because he dealt with so much roster turnover, the 30 new faces. He really relied on the portal. I'm not saying he just hated every portal edition or anything like that. But I think it really frustrated Lane watching him in some of these games. Like, Looking back on their year, yeah, you got off to that great start, but not beating anyone of great significance, I think makes it. I think that makes it, it a tough pill to to swallow. You look back on this year and you're, you're trying to figure out, like, okay, what exactly what exactly did we do? What was what was the thing that made you say, Ole Miss, great year, tip of the cap. Loved loved what you were able to, to put together. It really feels like you're building towards the future. It felt like Lane was trying to elevate his floor. And I think he did. I think he absolutely did with the portal. And if and if he had just said, we're going to run it back with our current personnel, this would have been a, a much tougher year. But instead, you end up not really being able to, to kind of hang your hat on having that one specific thing outside of Quinchon Judkins that you really felt great about this year. Losses in five of the last six. A lot of questions, I, I think. Ole Miss will not be the ultimate good vibes team in college football. Gator Bowl. Man, we had some great games. We had some great, great bowl games in the SEC. South Carolina, Notre Dame was electric, fun. It was a game in which it felt like anybody could win. It really did. This is everything, and I South Carolina fans will disagree with this because of the way that the result played out, of course. But this is everything that I want from a bowl game, at least within the things that I get to watch on TV. Can't control the opt-outs. I can control that. I actually agreed with the people on Twitter who were saying, and I think Mike Griffith was, was all over this, that opt-out guys shouldn't be on the sideline, especially not doing interviews, which two Notre Dame players were doing. Shane Beamer said, nope. If you're not going to be opting into this game, sorry, you're either with us or you're against us. I agree with him. I think players have that right to be able to choose, but 
don't show up on the sideline and pretend like everything is all fun and we're just getting to enjoy this entire experience. No, that shouldn't be how this works. If you're going to opt out and if you're going to truly focus on the NFL draft, go train for the NFL draft. Go down to Florida, go down to Texas, go get your workouts in. You've decided at that point, which you are well within your rights to do, no problem whatsoever. You can hang around the team, all this stuff. But being a part of bull prep, being a part of that experience, which is a reward for those guys, to me, if you're not going to be playing that game, nah. I don't think you should just be able to enjoy enjoy that from the sideline because, and I can't remember who who brought it up. It might have been Jeff Schwartz. It might have been Michael Jr. I feel like this was an offensive lineman take. Somebody who said, if I'm losing in that game and I look over to the sideline and I see those guys, those studs, I'm pissed off. I agree with that 100%. I think I think I would have been frustrated at certain points if I'm if I'm a Notre Dame player and I'm realizing that that I'm losing in this game, especially after the way that things started for Notre Dame and knowing that they had significant opt outs in that one. Beamer pulled out all the stops. He really did. And that's what part that's part of the reason why this game was so fun. I mean, they had a touchdown in three different phases in the first quarter alone. Beamer's out here doing fake punts. Of course he does. He's got crazy misdirection plays. That little shovel pass that, that they were doing um, where they picked up the first down on that was, I mean, that that's exactly what you could hope for. Throw out everything. Who cares? Freddie Kitchens, I don't know who was calling plays in this one. Whoever it was, it was. Looks really good. Looks really good without Marcus Satterfield for most of that game. I mean, at one point, <laughs> South Carolina is lining up with three defensive players out there. And Taylor Zarzer says in the broadcast that Rattler throws a pass to DK Joyner. DK Joyner wears number five, but it was actually to Jordan Birch. <laughs> Jordan Birch, like defensive lineman, edge rusher, Jordan Birch. The guy who used to play running back in high school somehow at like 260 pounds and was this crazy five-star recruit. Um, he almost was able to come up with this pass, which would have been a touchdown, but he wears the same number. Like it was, and Tonka Hemingway is out there running in the flat. South Carolina said, we're going to throw everything out there. And that's kind of what made this that much more crushing, I think, for Shane Beamer and how dejected he was in the post game. Because, man, he, he gave it everything he had. But the thing that held South Carolina back in this game is kind of the same thing that's been preventing them from being a 9-3, and three, a 10-2 type team. They still struggle to not get punched in the face. And depth issues definitely hurt South Carolina, no doubt about it. It looked like Notre, Notre Dame just really started to lean on that ground game, and they were getting everything that they wanted. Tyler Buckner played well enough for me to actually pronounce his name correctly, so good on him for that. Sorry to Will for correcting him and then saying the wrong name. I thought Buckner played a really solid game. The pick six was terrible, absolutely terrible. But given the circumstances and what he was facing in his first action since Marshall, I thought that guy stepped up and played really well for Marcus Freeman's team. And that they were able to just kind of get what they wanted against South Carolina. And when you know that an offense is doing that, yeah, you do have to get creative. And that's why we saw South Carolina do some of the things that it did. And you know, I, I thought that for the game plan for, for the Gamecocks was there was no attempt at balance because they felt very depleted at running back. Of course, they were without Marshawn Lloyd in this game. Marcus Satterfield's favorite tailback, Jaheim Bell, wasn't available either. Not that it would have mattered because Marcus Satterfield wasn't calling plays, but they they had a lot of their ground game production was gone, and they they turned the ball to Spencer Rattler to, to be able to make plays. And speaking of making plays, how about Xavier Leggett? Whew! That toe tap that he made in the end zone 
that might have been the catch of bowl season. That was ridiculous. And you need to watch that in real time to see the body control that it took to be able to get imbalance. Man, that was a heck of a a heck of a catch, a heck of a throw by Rattler, too. If this was a game in which you were hoping to see the wheels fall off for Spencer Rattler, because let's be honest, there are people that root against Spencer Rattler. Let's call it what it is. People that have rooted against Spencer Rattler ever since they saw him be kind of a douchey kid on QB1. Totally get it. If you were hoping to see the wheels fall off, I think you were disappointed. Without a handful of key offensive weapons, it was definitely more good than bad from Rattler. And I I tweeted after the interception going into the half that I wish Rattler could get that screw it, I'm throwing this out of this game entirely. And I realized he's just trying to make a play there. And I meant it more in general because he definitely had a couple of other throws in this game in which you're like, ah, kind of lucky that that wasn't picked off. To be determined what Rattler does as of this recording, 10 a.m. Sunday morning, don't have any official word. Maybe he's going to go down to the wire. I would love to know how much he elevated his draft stock in the last three games of the season. Because I think it was a lot. I really do. And if you're still of the belief that Rattler is just going to be a total failure in the NFL, that's on you. He's going to have a lot of opinions out there. I'm still not necessarily one who is sitting here saying that he's going to be a franchise starter one day. But there's a lot to consider for him. I had someone tell me that he made about $1.5 million in NIL this year. Would be even more next year if he ran it back. After the way that he finished, you better believe it would be even more. I'd probably have him, if he returned, I would probably have him at number five in the SEC. And gosh, even, even that kind of feels low. I'd have him just behind Will Rogers at four. I'd have Jaden Daniels at three. I have Devin Leary at two. I know people are like, you're way too into Devin Leary. You're doing the thing where you overrate transfer portal quarterbacks. And then I'd have KJ at one, of course. But that group is, there's not a lot of separation. in. I think it's kind of similar to, to coming into 2020. But that's, we're talking about if Rattler returns. Um, what a turnaround though. Even in a loss, what a turnaround for South Carolina, man. Like I go back to watch, I was watching SEC Nation on the day of the Tennessee game. And at the end of SEC Nation, they're doing their picks and whatnot. And they're in Columbia, by the way. I should add that too. They're doing their picks. And Marty Smith is trying to pump up the crowd. And the crowd's not really having it. I'll be honest. Like, I think South Carolina fans are a very loyal bunch. I don't blame them. It's, what is it, 11 in the morning, you know, 1130 in the morning. You just got your teeth kicked in by Florida. You've already clinched a bowl game, so you don't necessarily have that on the table. And you're thinking you're going into these two matchups in the year against playoff hopeful teams. You're thinking that's probably going to be a blowout. And Marty Smith is like trying to pump up the South Carolina crowd. He's like doing whatever he can. Little did that crowd know the next three games and what they would entail, how entertaining they would be. I think there will be Gamecock fans talking about that stretch for a really long time time because they did a lot of things well and they did a lot of things that we haven't seen in the post barrier era i mean that's that's obvious because of the wins but even just from a confidence standpoint i thought that took a, a different step last year to be able to string it together that was the thing that last year's team really didn't do they weren't stringing those wins together in the way that this year's group did and they were a little bit more herky-jerky down the stretch even though they were able to pick up some of those quality wins in the first year with shane beamer they will not be the ultimate good vibes team in college football I don't think we can say that if you you need to be able to win a bowl game. That's a prerequisite for ultimate good vibes team. Florida State is the national leader in the clubhouse. I'm going to say that right now. I'm going to come up with the true 
ultimate good vibes team. I'm going to have to do that as, as a segment in the off season here and really get that figured out when the dust settles. But I, I still think South Carolina should feel in, extremely encouraged knowing that it held its own and did so in a year in which I think the East showed that it's better than it's been in a long time. Might be the best that the the SEC East has been in the post-Tebow era. And South Carolina was right there. Right there. Another reason why the East was so good this year. Let's go to the Orange Bowl. The orangest of Orange Bowls, Tennessee and Clemson. Bazooka Joe blew me away, man. He really did. He did what I thought could not be done. CJ Stroud and Bazooka Joe was almost like they heard every single thing that I said. And they're gonna like, I'm going to prove that idiot wrong. And sure enough, they did. Joe Milton was poised. He was confident. Most importantly, he was precise. I need someone to do a side-by-side of a normal quarterback throwing a goal line fade next to Joe Milton throwing a 60-yard pass because I think they're the same thing. I truly do. He looks like he puts less muscle behind a 60-yard throw than I put into opening a fresh bottle of Texas Pete. I laughed out loud at the 60-yard throw to Squirrel White. (laughs) I'm like... There's no way that that ball went that far with that little torque. The fact that he made that thing just sail, he took something off of that to throw it 60 yards. And he was like throwing, he almost, he almost threw off his back foot. And it was a beautiful pass, magnificent pass to squirrel white. And even the, the walk-in touchdown later to Ramel Keaton, that that's the most casual throwing catch from that distance that I've ever seen. Like the the amount of mustard that Joe Milton took off that throw and how wide open Ramel Keaton still was to be able to waltz into the end zone. Tip of the cap. It was a treat to watch Bazooka Joe. It was, and I've been hard on him. I, I really have. No non-playoff player had more at stake than Milton. And all he did was play the game of his career. Even, be- even better than the 2020 opener against Minnesota, wherein right after that happened, I think that was a Friday night game, and after Herb Street went on game day and was talking about Joe Milton as the difference maker for that Michigan team and maybe Joe Milton for Heisman. And he, I mean, he sent some shockwaves through college football at a time when uh, we, we really didn't know what to expect from, from anything, but he was even better than he was that day. Here's why that game is exactly the way that Josh Heupel drew it up. I mean, besides the fact that you blew out Clemson, you were the better orange team. If you're Josh Heupel, you don't have to go to the portal. Maybe, maybe maybe somebody shocking is going to come open and he's going to consider it, but you don't have to go to the portal. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you absolutely must with the way that that played out. You can sell a competition with Milton, with Nico, with Taven Jackson, who's kind of the forgotten man in all this. And you're knowing that Milton is very likely the guy until he's not. And the good thing about that is fans want more Bazooka Joe. They really do. They want to see this thing through. They want to see what it looks like in year three in the offense, if he's made these strides, if he can harness those unbelievable physical talents that he has. And it's not that he doesn't know the system. I mean, that's something that we need to remember. It's not like Joe Milton. I've ne- One thing I'll never criticize Joe Milton for is just being aimless and looking like he doesn't understand the offense. He understands the offense. But if you're overthrowing dudes with 100-mile-an-hour heaters when you're trying to just throw it six, seven yards, that doesn't, that's not really going to do you a whole lot of good. He knows the offense. So if you're hypo, you can either hope that you get a great, final year of Joe Milton, or if he falters, 
You can hope to get a motivated year two version of Jackson, who I'm assuming he's going to continue to put on weight. You know, maybe some potential Garrett Nussmeyer vibes, kind of the forgotten guy in this quarterback room. He's going to know his window is really small. I would think that he's going to be very motivated. That's assuming he doesn't hit the transfer portal. Or if Milton falters mid-season next year or something like that, or he gets hurt because let's be honest, he's going to run the football a lot. And even though he's built like a Greek god, you know, he is human being. At least I think he's a human being. Maybe if that happens, you turn to Nico. Those are good options. That's as good as, that's as much depth as you can possibly ask for in a quarterback room in today's day and age. At least it's as much depth as you can ask for in a quarterback battle in this day and age. You don't have to worry about the mid-year transfers. Remember that as well with, with the Joe Milton thing because the windows that are that are currently created. And if Milton falters again, last I checked, he's out of eligibility. I would love a full season of Joe Milton like the guy that we saw on Friday night. I would truly love it. I would sit here and I would applaud it. I would eat crow. I, I would I would come up with new ways to describe the Joe Milton experience. I would. Will we get that? <laughs> Probably not. But that to me, the, the, that upside, we had not seen that. That was almost like the version of Joe Milton that Josh Heupel saw in practice leading up to that quarterback battle in 2021 and what pushed him to want to make that decision. And we saw it. We finally were able to see it. I'll be honest. Tennessee proved me wrong in this game. The way that they they came out, and not just because the Milton Squirrel, Squirrel White connection looks really, really good, but also defensively, man. It, it was fair to wonder if they were going to come out flat and if they were going to watch Cade Klubnik throw the ball over the place. And instead, dude was running for his life. I mean, tennis, credit Tim Banks. They brought the heat, man. They were bringing some serious heat on the true freshman, which why wouldn't you? Why would you let him get settled in the game? I mean, Cade Klubnik, I don't think it's fair to say that he was seeing ghosts, but that play at the end of the first half where you're just like, did you just not know this was the end of the half? Did you think you had a timeout left? Like he, he was in his head. He was very much in his head and Tennessee deserves credit because they put pressure on him and forced him into those awkward situations when I thought he was going to come out and have this turn the page to 2023 type game. And that did not prove to be the case at all. I asked going into this one, if Tennessee was going to have 2020 Florida vibes, you blew your playoff shot in what looked like a gimme game. You knew that you were going to be without a ton of key pieces in the bowl game Felt very much like next year's squad was out there. Okay. Not to go full Dan Mullen on this one, who, by the way, I thought was actually really good on the Arkansas call. I know a lot of people are still not used to hearing Dan Mullen on the call, and there are certain things you don't want to hear him say with the way that things played out of Florida. But I actually thought he was pretty good. But this Tennessee team, all they did was control that game while Clemson, who had, I thought, a lot to play for to get the bad taste out of their mouths following the South Carolina debacle. I thought Clemson looked totally unprepared and not just because they could make a kick. There was, there was a lot more than, than just that. I, I still don't understand why they don't just give Will Shipley the ball 25 times a game, but they overthinking this Are they underthinking this. I don't know. Josh Heupel said afterwards that the best is yet to come. That was Tennessee's best season since, since 2001. And it was really important that they finished the year by not putting people who doubted them back in the right. Okay, the worst thing that could have happened for this Tennessee team down the stretch is if they had lost two of three. If people had said, ah, you know what? 
we got too caught up in the Tennessee hype. And that didn't happen. That did not happen. Tennessee, once again, finds a way. I think Tennessee fans should feel good. They should feel good. You had a a year in which you finally got over the Alabama hurdle. Your offense, which was going to make or break Josh Leipold, I'd say it checked out. And it did everything you could have ever hoped for. I do not blame Tennessee fans for feeling awesome because top seven seasons don't grow on trees. They really don't. And even if this isn't some linear progression with Josh Heupel, and this isn't the beginning of this unbelievable, you know, eight year run or something like that, wherein they're competing every single year for an SEC championship, I, I still think that you should feel good about what you saw from your team in 2022. Before we finish the rest of the games, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. As you guys know, talk about this every single pod. Sports betting, not legal in a lot of states still. A lot of states. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. Most of the SEC states, gambling, still not legal. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, uh, you know, a certain Stetson Bennett, uh, higher or lower, 250 passing yards. He had over, by the way. Should probably not call him a game manager anymore with the things that he is able to do in the fourth quarter against teams that can end his season. Just want to throw that out there. Um, this is obviously, we talk about this all the time with our preview pods, very similar to, to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. I got some picks for Monday Night Football. Let's go Josh Allen under 46 and a half rushing yards. I think that's still a lot. That's a lot of rushing yards this late in the year. I don't think they want to be able to, to put him in some of those spots. So I'll take the under on that. And then Joe Burrow over 0.5 interceptions. He's throwing, I think he's throwing a pick in each of his last three games. Okay. We love, we love Joe. We absolutely do. But him throwing a pick on Monday Night Football, that feels like something we'll see against a really, really good Buffalo Bills defense. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room, and you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog and take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your deposit. First deposit up to $100. You can get $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Let's talk Sugar Bowl. This game went in a much different direction than I thought it was going to after the way that things started out. I'm going to give Bama a lot of credit here. I am. That's the best that they've played all year. Easily. Best that they've played since the SEC championship last year. Not even close. They could have had the opt-out excuse. They didn't use that at all because they didn't have any guys opt out. Kansas State comes out guns blazing in this one. 10-0 to start. Deuce Vaughn has like the longest run on Bama in 20 years or something. I mean, you're thinking, wow, frustrating year for Bama continues. Maybe they're if they get blown out, maybe they'll pull the starters a little bit earlier. And, you know, some will maybe default to that as the reason why Bama lost. But the play that turned it all around, and this this speaks to Bama's 2022 identity, whatever that actually was. Jameer Gibbs was Bama's best receiver. 
I don't think there's any debate about that. He got a really nice block on a borderline pick play. It set up the first score. It was all Bama after that. Bryce Young dropping balls into a bucket. Seeing Jermaine Burton actually get on the same page as Bryce Young. It was great to see. It was great to see. You know, Cameron Latou wasn't dropping passes. Will Anderson, you know, he hurried Howard in what I thought was pretty limited reps for Will Anderson. I didn't see the full snap count. He forced that pick by Branch. It was a joy to watch this Bama team finally find that gear. But because I decided to poke the bear in the first part of the day and say, I don't care if Alabama wins this game 100 to nothing, they're still not worthy of making the college football playoff because you have to do these things in the regular season and you can't use use bowl results to justify regular season decisions. Um, I still had a lot of people tweeting at me, this isn't a playoff team. They also tweeted that before TCU did what it did and before Ohio State did what it did. That's not how this works. It's not. Get a regular season. If you don't make the playoff, it's probably on you. Okay? At least in the four-team era. Going 10-2 and two without wins against anybody better than four lost teams when you have five games decided in the last minute doesn't mean that you just get to say, well, we're better. Cool. Show it next time. They should. If they had played like that all year, I would have been making the jump for Bama to make the playoff. They didn't. But I'll I'll stop talking about that because I'm kind of sick of it, to be honest. And this game was, you know, for the first uh, half hour, the first 30 minutes of game time was really entertaining. Let's just kind of treat this for what it was. It was a reminder that Nick Saban knows what he's doing. The cliche stuff about culture and all that stuff. It's still second to none at Bama. And in this game against a really solid Kansas State squad who pushed a lot of people around up front this year. Bama showed us that it had an elite gear. It just didn't do it until it was too late. The comp for this Bama season is 2015 Ohio State. 2015 Ohio State was a unanimous preseason number one. Never really found that gear that many expected it would have. The difference being that Ohio State, their schedule that year was nowhere near what Bama's schedule was this year, especially in the road games. But both of them suffered that stunning divisional loss, missed out on the playoff, only to show up in a non-playoff New Year's Six game and then play their best game of the year. Just like Ohio State did against Notre Dame, even though Joey Bosa got tossed for targeting like the first quarter of that game. That was weird. I've been saying all year, writing off Bama in the post-Bryce Young era is silly because history tells us that when Bama doesn't start at number one, that's when you should be worried. And they're not going to start at number one next year. I'd be very surprised. I I don't know what could possibly happen in the portal unless they get the best portal class that we have ever seen. I'd be surprised if Bama started at number one, but history suggests when Bama doesn't start at number one, that's when they can win a national championship. Okay. I think that's still very much on the table for this team. And you saw it play out on a neutral site. against a really good Kansas state team. Those headliner guys, they're expected to be gone, but where I will say Bama deserves the benefit of the doubt of is in a preseason ranking. They do preseason top five, no matter what. And not just because you have the number one recruiting class in the country, because as we talked about with AM, that's not necessarily going to make or break your season, a true freshman class. But this is more about the fact that Bama has 15 consecutive years of double digit wins. They're a preseason top five team. No doubt about it. I I'd be willing to give them, even if Saban went down to the local middle school and handpicked his next team, I truly would. 
And I say that even with the uncertainty about Bill O'Brien's future, I still think he joins the Patriots. We'll wait and see on that. I think Bama fans will be that much more confident in next year's team, no matter who replaces Bill O'Brien. We talk about don't replace the legend. <laughs> replace Bill O'Brien. You want to talk about getting into a great place with your fan base? Man, uh, I, I don't know if there's anybody besides Pete Golding. I don't know if there's anybody that Alabama fans hate more than Bill O'Brien. Um, but I think his days are numbered if I had to guess. Bama finally stopped getting into these 60-minute games against quality teams. They had the killer instincts. They didn't let penalties get to them. They, they were they were getting tougher as the game progressed against the run after that big, long touchdown run by Deuce Vaughn. And Bryce Young did Bryce Young things. One last thing. I know I've kind of already given Bryce his flowers. I, I truly love Bryce Young. I am going to miss watching him play at the college level, assuming that he is off to the NFL. He is, in my opinion, better than Tua, better than Mac Jones. I'd put him better than, I'd say he's better than Jalen. I think he has a real argument for best Bama quarterback ever. I think he's, if you're trying to come up with a list of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football of the playoff era, and you don't have Bryce Young on it, I think that's a mistake. And if you tell me, well, he never won a title, I'd say that's a little bit ridiculous. That's the only barometer that you want to have. I think Bryce Young was phenomenal. And watching him cook the way that he was in this game, man, whew, dropping balls, just it couldn't, couldn't hand it off some of the throws that he had better than, than what he did. It was truly amazing to watch. And I will, assuming he's off to the NFL, I will miss watching Bryce Young. Um, and if you don't have him as your QB1, that's on you. Music City Bowl. No QB1s here. I want Kentucky. Woof, Kentucky. Uh, the good news mm, is that Destin Wade got his first career start and threw two touchdowns in the first half. The bad news is that they were to the wrong team. Veteran defense baited a freshman into some some pretty tough throws, and uh, this game was over by the break. I don't know how much time Kentucky would have needed to score 21 points against Iowa. It would have all been defensive touchdowns, special teams touchdowns for sure. But offensively, they were totally stuck in the mud. And I think they actually, I think they might have finished with more yards than Iowa did. But Iowa getting those two pick sixes, once that happened, you're like, oh, that's it. That's all she wrote. And Iowa was able to to protect their quarterback better than Kentucky was. And I thought that was a, a key part of this game. Um, but I, I liked that Kentucky was at least willing to be flexible at the quarterback position. Wade was apparently better in camp than Kaya Sharon, who I assumed was going to be the starter. Um, you know that Wade isn't going to be the guy next year because you've got Leary coming in. So if you're Kentucky, you get the rare opportunity to see what both of your young quarterbacks look like with a start and not just a random situation in which you've got to come into the middle of the game for an injured quarterback or something like that. You get to see how they prepare. You get to see kind of how the team responds to them. But this was a horrible matchup for Destin Wade. It was. In a battle of young starters getting their first career start, it was Wade who made those mistakes, and Kentucky's defense was going to need to play essentially a perfect game to be able to win that, and they had the one drive where I don't know how many tackles was it Laporta broke on that play. I think it was like six tackles that he broke on that play, and Iowa gets its only offensive touchdown of the day. Um, I don't know that you have any new long-term takeaways other than, hey, this is why Leary liked this situation, because... Nobody is going to be clamoring for the backup at Kentucky. 
different story than what we're going to see play out at Florida, where the Graham Mertz, you know, the Mertz Rashada situation is going to have a much different feel if the starter, presumably Mertz, struggles out of the gate. Uh, I don't know that Kentucky's going to be in that spot, and that 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 could help Devin Leary. It could also hurt this team, obviously, if he is able to um, if he gets injured again. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. I've got one long term takeaway. That was uh, Mark Stoops' first loss to a non-SEC team in five years when Benny Snell got tossed for basically doing nothing. I think he exclaimed loudly at an official or something like that, and the official didn't like it. I don't know, but he apparently didn't say anything. Win or lose, disappointing year for Kentucky. It was. The step that they could have taken this year was, and what was very much on the table based on the way that they start, they could have had consecutive winning seasons in SEC play for the first time since when? Will somewhere in Philadelphia said the Jimmy Carter administration that didn't happen. And why didn't it happen? Yeah, a lot of the reasons we already laid out bad offensive line play that needs to improve regardless of who your starter is a quarterback. Didn't really have that do it all guy with Wandell on the passing game. I didn't think that Levis took that next step, despite what NFL draft evaluators are going to say about him. Um, and I, I like some of the tools I really do. And I like the toughness. I love all those things, but I didn't think that he necessarily was an obvious next step guy. We didn't see him take a next step a la 2021 Matt Corral or something like that. And part of that is because he didn't really respond well enough to his surroundings. Maybe some of that was not being used as a runner. Um, He never really got on the same page as Rich Gangrello. He was banged up, whatever the case, he just didn't take that next step. And he needed to, if this team was going to maximize its potential, it's definitely this year for Kentucky is a, This is why Kentucky doesn't get annual respect. People will point to years like this that stand out and say, well, you can't do it in consecutive years. And and that is what's preventing Kentucky from being the team who gets yearly top 25 love. You got to do it year after year. Can't just have the one-off. Kentucky's been a little bit too one-off heavy, and I'm not trying to take away from what Mark Stoops has built and his program and the way that he has gotten guys to respond year after year. And I'm not saying that this all of a sudden means that he's on the downturn or something like that, despite the fact that this game was ugly. And if you watched all 60 minutes of this game, maybe find something else to do with your time because, goodness gracious, it was really bad. And I I admittedly was like, middle of the fourth quarter, can't do it anymore. I'm going to head over to the tailgate. Um, Couldn't do it. It was ugly. But the good news, help is on the way, and it's in the form of me slash Liam Cohen. Take solace in that, Kentucky fans. All right. We have a national championship to preview later in the week. Will is going to join us for that. Got a lot of stuff going on. We will also recap the bowl games from LSU and the bowl game from Mississippi State, which I will be at. Hopping on a flight today, waking up super early tomorrow, driving down to Tampa. Excited for all the action that we will be able to see um, in the first game of the post-Mike Leach era for the Bulldogs, which is just kind of a, a weird thing to process. I'm glad we had an awesome day. We had an awesome day of college football. Guys, those don't come around too often. They really don't. Um, that was such a fun playoff. Hopefully you were able to have a safe and happy New Year's Eve while watching some great football. Hopefully you didn't go to a house where they're like, oh, we, we know who's going to win a national championship. We don't want to turn the games on. Hopefully you were at that house where they said, oh, no, we need to be dialed into this. We need to make sure that we are watching every second of this college football playoff because it was great. And I enjoyed every last second of it. 
If you haven't, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name right on air. We're figuring it out for Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.